Well, I want to welcome all those who are joining us uh, from the 01 and Crossroads and Highland Park. I want to thank the Linehans for sharing their story. I think uh, what we come to understand is that everybody has a story, and when you uh, actually get a chance to, to peek behind the smiles and the veneer, you find a lot more pain than you uh, might ever expect. Uh, this week I, um, I got a text from uh, a guy and he was apologizing for not uh, getting back to me in a timely fashion and he said, I've been on the road and he goes driving and I just refuse to answer texts when I'm driving, which seemed very reasonable. He went on to say, I've, I've had two accidents because of texting. Can you believe it took me two before I finally learned? And uh, I thought, well, sure, I can imagine it taking two. As a matter of fact, I'm a little surprised that it only took two. Uh, This has nothing to do with him. It has more to do with me and just my observation of others. We tend to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. We we don't learn from our pain. And uh, I want to think about that today. In in Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul sort of chides the Galatians and says, have you come this far in vain? Uh, and and there's a, the, the letter that he wrote to the church in Galatia is written to, to address a very specific challenge that had been brought to them. There was a group of people that would follow Paul and Barnabas around the various places where they were setting up churches, and they would challenge the message, and they would say that a Gentile who wants to become a Christ follower first has to become a practicing Jew. They have to embrace Jewish custom and ceremonial law. And Paul is just says, nothing to do with this. He's like, that is not the gospel that we preach. We're not saying to people, if you do all these things and believe in Christ, then you'll be right with God. We're very clear that our salvation is secured by the, by the basis of Christ's work alone and none of this other stuff. And so he's very frustrated with the Galatians because they're getting sucked back into this. And he says, have you, have you not learned? Right? Are you going to waste your pain and frustration? You lived under the law at one point and it didn't work. Do you not remember that? And uh, I, I just want to, I want to encourage you that you not waste your pain. Um, that, that we profit from our problems. And that's what the Corinthians did. There's two letters written to the church in Corinth. Uh, the first one is talking about all the problems that they have. But then uh, Paul writes in the second letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 11, verse 7, and this is a paraphrase out of Eugene Peterson's The Message, and he says, And now, isn't it wonderful all the ways in which this distress has goaded you closer to God? You're more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate, more responsible, looked at from any angle. You've come out of this with purity of heart, and that is what I was hoping for in the first place when I wrote the letter. Today I want to talk about uh, how you can really leverage your pain to, to take ground. I don't, know what, I don't know what your struggles are at the moment, emotional, physical, financial, professional, relational, uh, medical. I don't know what your problems are at this moment. But I want to encourage you uh, 
to allow your problems to move you in the right direction. This is all optional stuff, right? We've said the first three stages are given. Coming out of a a major loss, you will experience shock. You will experience sorrow. You will experience struggle. We can move past that or not, but we can move past that through surrender and then sanctification. Again, this is the theological term for growth. And then finally, into service. And, and service is the big idea that I want to focus on today. But, but actually, there's four ways that your pain, your trial, your heartache, your suffering, your setback, there's four different ways that you could profit from this if you're willing to. Number one, you can grow closer to God. I wrote about this in book one and said that oftentimes a major crisis will be a watershed event that will force us to pick a path. And one of the paths that is frequently chosen is that people who enter this crisis without faith will leave the crisis with faith. Right? It's, it's the crisis itself that sort of brings them to an end of themselves. They realize, as I realized in, in my recent travails, uh, I realized self-sufficiency is so fleeting. It's such a temporary condition. And, and it brings them to a pursuit of the divine. Now, this may not be the first place that people go. As a matter of fact, uh, many people will rage against a God they don't believe in for years before they finally come to realize, if I'm going to be mad at him, I have to believe that he exists. Right? So, so it may not be the first state, stage that people go to, but many, I, I won't go so far as to say people don't come to God unless there's a crisis, but it's almost uh, a safe statement. When, when, you're, when you're listening to testimonies or during a baptism, sometimes just uh, in baptizing people, I'll just ask them, how did you come to faith, right? In one minute, tell me how you came to faith. And if you're doing 30 of these in a row, it's the pattern becomes so obvious. Well, I was going down this path and then... I got sick. I was going down this path, and then I went through a divorce. I was going down this path, and then I lost my job. I was going down this path, and then my father died. And it's after that crisis that many times people will move towards God. So one of the things that can happen is we can leverage this pain to actually grow closer to God. Now, full disclosure, some people will enter the crisis with faith and will leave it without. Some people will enter the rapids believing in God. They'll get flipped out of the boat, and they will lose their faith, in part because their faith was basically predicated on the idea that if I believe, I will not get flipped out of the boat. I want to remind you, this whole idea of this series did not come because I had a stroke. I was working on it before I had the stroke. This, the, 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 the thing that prompted this series was, was one too many visits with people in the hospital. Where what I discovered is that where I thought and hoped when I went to visit them, that they would, they would be resting in God's presence, what I get instead is someone who says, I, I, don't, I don't know that I believe anymore. 
How could this happen to me? How could God let this happen to me? I don't know, Pastor, that I believe anymore. And I thought, okay, I'm doing something wrong here. Because I keep trying to make the point, this world is broken. God entered our pain. He died in our place. He defeated death, but he has not yet destroyed it. We're going to suffer. We should expect that we are going to experience trials and setbacks. It happened to Christ. He told us it was going to happen to us. But somehow, I'm not getting that point across. So all kinds of people are surprised when they get flipped out of the boat. And so I thought, I've got to go back at this and make this as clear as I can. If we live long enough, we're going to suffer. Right? And the promise of believing in God is not that we're not going to suffer. It's that he will be there and he can change that suffering in positive ways. And eventually he will put an end to the suffering. But our sin has brought us into a world that's broken. And consequently, we are going to suffer if we live long enough. So some people will enter the crisis with faith, but they will lose their faith in the process. There's a third group of people who, when they come into a crisis, basically go into what I'll say is no man's land. And and they, they continue, if you listen carefully, they articulate this idea, I believe in a God who will not allow me to suffer, and I'm suffering. But I still believe in a God who will not allow me to suffer. It's, it's, not a, it's not a position that is very sustainable. But some people can stay there for a long time because we're not the most reflective people uh, who've ever lived. And then there's a fourth group of people who actually will grow in the crisis. Not in spite of the crisis, but really because of the crisis. They will find... And I'm so thankful that, that, that my experience, through no great piety on my own, but my experience was that God never felt closer to me. There was a sweet time of communion. The more dependent I was, the closer God felt. And uh, I, I, you know, I can only say my response to this was what I keep encouraging you to do. It's just to, to keep short accounts with God. And when, when you're in shock, your prayers should be prayers of shock. God, how did this happen to me? When you're sad, your prayers should express that sadness. I'm depressed. I'm despondent. I'm frustrated by what's going on. When you're struggling, your prayers can be prayers of anger, right? God's shoulders are broad enough to handle our anger, He gives us the prayers to pray when we're mad. He gives us, in the book of Psalms, prayers to pray when we're mad at Him. Right? And so, we, we just, we, we just move through this with God, and my experience was that God was remarkably, uh, close. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes and says, I'm glad, okay, he's talking about the the trial that they've just been through. He says, I'm glad, not because it hurt you, but because the pain turned you to God. We can allow pain, setback, suffering, trials, heartache, whatever, to drive us closer to God. A second thing second possible benefit of your pain is that it can drive you closer to others. Um, 
if you allow it, pain can help you understand your dependence on others and help you see their great needs as well and and you draw closer to them. Look, as soon as the dimmer switch got turned up enough, I came to this realization that uh, people in my situation can expect to lose their job first, their house second, and their marriage third. And that that's, that is the likely path that I'm on. Now, I didn't have any reason to think that those things would happen to me. But I got glimpses of them. And there was one particular moment where everything sort of came together for me. And let me just back up and say, I, I part of, part of uh, having a traumatic brain injury and, and then having a stroke is that uh, they sort of go into this full court press to, to keep your brain from swelling because the skull doesn't expand, and so if your brain swells, big problems. So they put me on this really uh, powerful saline drip that was so... Um, it was so toxic in one sense that they couldn't put it into an IV through your arm. They had to go right into my jugular vein. And uh, this, this saline drip made me really, really thirsty, as you can imagine. And I wasn't happy about that. So on about day five, in the, in the middle of the night, the nurse comes into my uh, room and, and she sees me sort of slumped over and I'm awake. And she goes, well, Mr. Woodruff, how are you doing? Now, I had tried to that point to be very kind, patient, understanding. right? I wanted to be the model patient. And, I mean, I could tell. I could hear other patients yelling and screaming. You know, when you're in a neuro ward, people aren't always thinking very clearly. And I heard my nurse at one point uh, wrestling with this guy saying, stop hitting me. First of all, it's illegal. Secondly, it's unkind, right? So I knew that they had their hands full, and so I was trying to be uh, as, as, as patient as possible. But she goes, how are you doing? And I said, really? <laughs> how do you think I'm doing? I'm dying here. I'm looking for a drink of water, but will anybody give me one? No. I'm not, I'm not asking for drugs. I'm just asking for a glass of water. I said, I tell you what, why don't you go out and get the phone and you call one of those $1,000 an hour neurologists and you say, give the guy a drink of water. I go, that's all I'm after. Now, here's the irony. I couldn't drink a glass of water if they gave it to me because my throat didn't work and I had basically waterboarded myself on a little thimble full of water earlier that day. So I couldn't drink water if, if I had it. But she goes scurrying out and, and uh, she comes back a couple minutes later and I said, did, did you call him? Do I get a drink of water? And she, she says that she's putting this you know, needle into my arm. She goes, everything is going to be fine, right? <laughs> So, we have, we have ways of dealing with people like you. So, that's my situation. And it's, it's a day or two later that uh, they set this tray of food in front of me. Now, I could eat food before I could drink water. Swallowing water is really a remarkable thing. I mean, it's amazing the way God has worked this out. Very complicated 
if you've got to work on it. And so what they would do is they would give me solid liquids, right? So it's water put into a sort of nectar form with cornstarch. It's horrible. Uh, but if you're really thirsty, it's great. And so they set this tray of food in front of me, and I said to Sherry, I said, you can have anything on the tray except for my hydrolyte, right? This, this water, solid water. And uh, she sort of looks at me, and she, she just pushes the tray about six inches away. And she says, I can have anything on this tray that I want, right? She goes, there isn't anything you can do about it. And I realized she's just moved the tray six inches. I can't get to it now. And I, I, and I mean, it's just a joke. I mean, she, trust me, she does not want my solid water. It was horrible. But there was just, and, and all of a sudden it hit me. I thought, oh my goodness, I am incredibly vulnerable and dependent on others. And it was just this very uh, shocking, humbling moment to realize how much I needed other people. And seeing that helps you grow closer to them. And the flip side does as well. So fast forward about a month, and I'm now out of the hospital. And I'm supposed to go visit my family practice doc to transfer my files, right? Right? So during this point, I'm doing, I'm, I'm walking, but I basically sort of walk like, it's my Boris Karloff period where I'm sort of walking and I slide against the wall all the time because my balance is really, is really bad. So Sherry drops me off and, at the doctor and she takes me in and I'm, I'm holding on to her. And as soon as I get in the door, I just sort of, you know, stumble over to the first seat. So the nurse comes over. Sherry goes up to, to check in, and a couple minutes later, the nurse comes over with the clipboard, and she hands it to Sherry, and she says, you'll have to update his medical records. Right? And I realize that at this moment that she doesn't think that I can do this. And, and, it's stri- and I'm, I'm furious about this. Right? I've been in a wheelchair for the last month. I'm very frustrated that conversations are taking place over my head. I'm a, you know, relatively tall, overeducated white male. I'm not used to being ignored. And I don't handle it well when it happens. And so I'm, I'm about to snap at her. By God's grace, I don't. And I think she does not mean any slight here. That's not what's going on. Uh, she's just looking past me. And she doesn't see me. And what hits me at that moment is how many people I look past, right? How many people in their pain, I don't see it, right? I just have got my own agenda. I'm looking over them. And, and I am just, just floored by this, by this understanding of how much pain is out there that we don't acknowledge in other people. So your pain, your setback, your trial can be the very catalyst that can make you uh, a better person simply by helping you understand how desperate life feels for many people. A third thing uh, that trials can do is that trials uh, can help us become more like Christ. 
Pain can help us draw closer to God. Pain can help us draw closer to other people. Pain can help us uh, become more like Jesus. Um, last week, I mentioned these nine qualities that come out of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Right, The fruit of the Spirit. And here's what I didn't say last week. You learn these lovely qualities in very unlovely situations. Right? You don't learn how to be loving in a loving situation. You learn how to be loving in a very unlovely one. You don't learn patience when everything's working well. You learn patience when it's not. You don't learn peace in peaceful situations. You learn peace in chaotic ones. Right? And, and this is not just true for us. Hebrews makes it clear that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. So Jesus, who's Jesus? Perfect. Jesus learned obedience. He grew through suffering. And the same thing is true for us. Right? It is, it is through trials that we are going to grow. I like to be comfortable. I tend not to learn much when I'm comfortable. And Proverbs 20.30 says as much. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. We can expect to be lonely and misunderstood and criticized and maligned. We can expect to be judged. All these things happened to Jesus. They will happen to us. But we can grow through them. And one of the things that tends to happen when we get uh, judged, when we're, when we're um, um, you know, when we're maligned, when we're criticized, one of the things that can happen is that we can withdraw. We can hide. And we sort of, you know, recede back into a safe little spot and we, we raise the drawbridge and we flood the mode and we try and just be protected. I'm not going to let people hurt me like I've been hurted. Fine. I'll just, I'll just be on my own. Well, that's, um, that's understandable, but that's not a way forward. And it's not what Jesus did. As a general rule, we all get hurt in the same ways. Some people come out of that better, not bitter. And we've got to keep soft hearts in the midst of that. And so I want to... I want to pray for you right now. I don't know, again, as I said, I don't know what you're going through. The challenges are physical or professional or emotional or financial or whatever. But I I thought, um, just like we did the first week, uh, I want to have people stand and be prayed for. And I've asked uh, Sean if he would come and and pray for us. Sean uh, Logan is, um, Sean and Jeannie at the Highland Park campus. Sean is a is a member of the Stroke Club with me, and uh, he was one of the first guys to visit me when I came home. And uh, he had a lot of wisdom to share about what life would be like having had a stroke. And, uh, you know, he, he nailed it. And one of the things that he said to me was that uh, since having the stroke, he spent a lot more time praying. And so when I thought, I'm going to invite people to stand I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Sean to come up and pray. So I want to invite you now, whether you're at the Lake Forest campus, the Island Park campus, O1 service, Crossroads, whatever. If you want to be prayed for, if you're going through struggles, whatever kind, I want to encourage you right now to stand, and then I'm going to have Sean pray for us. Dear God, 
I pray for those of us here who are discouraged. I want to pray specifically for those of us who have been discouraged for a very long time because of our own brokenness, the brokenness of those that that we've committed to love, the brokenness of our children, our boss's brokenness. Um, You know, that the suffering that that this has brought into, into the lives here that maybe have gotten them to the point that they're wondering, you know, God, do you care? Are you involved here? And Lord, I thank you for Mike's reminder last week that sanctification begins at the cross, that as we kneel before you and believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, that that there's a divine transaction that occurs, that we are born again, um, that, that we are from that point on children of God, and you, you deem us to be in Christ, fully in Christ, in, enclosed in Christ, enrobed in the righteousness of Christ. You know, that we, you look upon us and see the holiness of Christ, the moral perfection of Christ, which is the beauty of Christ. And you look upon us and you love us. You love us with a love that's endearing, enduring, that will ne- your love will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, you're involved you're, care, you're caring for us. Your love is very tender. You come alongside of us to communicate strongly that you care. We thank you that you manage our brokenness for, for, uh, for long-term goals of our good, for the good of the church, and for the glory of Jesus Christ. And Lord, you know, I, uh, I just pray for those standing up. I thank you for their bravery. It's important when you fall out of the, the, the boat that you draw some attention to yourself so we can pull you back in. And so, Lord, pull them back in. May your love come now and and move in their hearts. I thank you for the worship and the concentration of the worship today uh, on on the sufficiency of Christ and the love of Christ. So, Lord, we, we hold to you, and we ask that you would come and bless us and just move and allow us. You know, I just reminded that your word tells us that the combination of our gifts plus your love makes a very... Uh, um, dramatic uh, difference in our service. And so we pray that, that, that we could receive your love and we could go forth and serve each other within the strength of your love. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thanks, John. Well, there is one other way that uh, we can use our pain. We don't want to waste it. I've said we want to use our pain to grow closer to God. We want to use our pain to grow closer to others. And we can use our pain to actually uh, become more like Christ. The other thing that we can do with our pain is we can use it to be more effective servants. The ways in which we have most been hurt can become the very ways in which we most effectively serve. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 4, the Apostle Paul, who's talking about the God of all comfort, says, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort uh, those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. The God of all comfort comforts us so that we can comfort others with the very comfort that we received. 
So I'll just point out, who's the best, per- who's the best person to help somebody that's had a stroke? Somebody that's had a stroke. Who's the best person to help a veteran who's struggling to re-emerge, re-enter civilian life? A veteran who's gone through that process. Who's the best person to help a parent uh, who has a, a, a chronically sick child? Parents of chronically sick children. Right? Who's, who's the best person to help somebody with addiction? Somebody with addiction. Who's the best person to help somebody who's been incarcerated? Somebody that's been incarcerated. Right? The, the very way in which we are broken is the way that we can uh, serve best. Don't waste your pain. Um, so one of, the, one of the challenges that remains for me is that I, my vision is, is not great and, and I'm not able to drive. So for the last six months, I've had to ask for rides everywhere. And that's a little uh, humbling. And... and uh, it, it's almost in one sense comical. One of the guys, I talk about this in book four, one of the guys that I talk with several times uh, a week, a close friend, uh, calls me every morning at about 7.25 to make sure that I've made it to the bus stop because I go down to the end of the driveway to wait for whoever's going to pick me up. And uh, he asked if I'm at the bus stop, and did I remember my Spider-Man lunch pail and backpack today? Because sometimes I forget it, right? So... Uh, I have asked a number of people for rides, but the person I ask most of all, outside of Sherry and my son, Ben, is, uh, is a guy who had a stroke and couldn't drive for two years. And he's the guy that drives me along, around because he understands what it's like to have to ask for a ride when you're in your 50s and to say, I can't drive. And so it's the very ways in which we have been hurt that we probably have the greatest opportunity to minister to others. And so I want to challenge you, uh, as I end today, I want to challenge you to think about the most significant ways that you have been hurt, you have suffered, the biggest setbacks that you've faced. And then I want you to think about who you know who could, you could come alongside and encourage because they're going through that right now. Right? We can turn our biggest losses into opportunities for Everybody to win, because everybody wins when you serve, starting with you. And this is, this is part of the way that God makes us more like Christ and more like himself. Don't waste your pain. Right? Don't waste your pain. In recovery, the last step of recovery is always to go back, circle back, and help somebody else. And I think there's great wisdom there. So I want to encourage you. Figure out the ways that you've been hurt and then leverage those, uh, uh, those hurts and those pains, the comfort you got from God to be a comfort to other people. Let me pray for us. Lord God, as Sean has already acknowledged, there's a lot of pain in this room, a lot of people who are struggling in a variety of different ways, and we just want to pray for that breath of fresh wind uh, in sails and some encouragement and some opportunities to see things a little bit differently than we may be seeing them. And to see the struggles is actually a real catalytic time for growth. I pray to that end. I pray, Father, that those that are being pushed down uh, by this trial would grow closer to you. That those that don't know you would come to faith in you. And uh, that that we become closer to other people because of this. 
more sensitive to those struggles that other people have, and then to find ways to use um, the very ways that they have been, been broken uh, and hurt to, to minister to others in your name and to bring that joy and encouragement to others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.